done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Even with the snow, it is good to be with you all. And I say that not as someone who doesn't like the snow, but I know some of you don't, so I'm trying to be sympathetic. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts chapter 3 as we continue in Acts and look at what God does and how the Word of the Lord continues to increase through the New Testament church and during that time. Last week we took a lot, I took a look at the beginning of Acts 3 and looked how God used Peter and John to heal a lame man, a lame man who is unable to walk from the very beginning of his life, from birth, who suddenly uh, and with great amazement was able to walk. And that, that was done through one person, and that was done through Jesus Christ. Even in that process, Peter and John never take glory for himself because at the very beginning of that healing, they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. There is no credit that was ever given to Peter or John in this process. It was completely a work of what God has done. And Peter has a singular focus on the mission of Jesus that he is willing to decrease himself and increase his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's amazing what happens when we lose sight of the mission and how often we can be more obsessed with what we want rather than what the mission of Christ is. But Peter here does exactly that. And Peter heals a lame man to point how Jesus will one day restore all things. And we were singing about that in that last song, which was a new one. I love that one. Foreshadowing what Christ will do when he comes back. But this wasn't, again, about Peter and John. This was about Jesus Christ. And Peter is now using this act in the following verses, from verses 11 to 26, of God's sovereign grace to declare the message of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them. Please follow along with Acts 3, verses 11 to 26. The word of the Lord says this. While he clung, the man, the lame man, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and now and, and know. Sorry. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. 
that time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made through your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us just pray. Awesome God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance we have to come and to worship you. And Lord, this is indeed a continuation of our worship. We worship in how we listen and how I preach. So Lord, I pray that we would indeed make much of you today. And God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of your name. I want to praise your name. And although I probably can't make it turn out well on my own, won't you make it turn out well? Lord, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. Verses 11 to 16, we see right off the bat that only by faith in Jesus Christ does any of this happen. People are rushing. In verse 11, we see that people are rushing after this prayer time that Peter and John were part of to see this man who was healed. This man is clinging to, J- to John and Peter like a, like a shy child. But he's not shy. He's very excited about what happened. We saw in the previous verses that he was praising God. He was leaping, jumping up and down, praising God for what he has done in his life. So all these people are rushing to see the man who healed this man who was lame from birth, and it it seems like at this point of the healing, uh, the people were kind of missing the whole point here. But Peter was given an excellent opportunity to bring the point home, and he doesn't shy away from it at all. The man who was healed hung around Peter and John, so this is a great visible confirmation to all of those who are rushing to Peter and John of what God had done and to what Peter was about to say. What a great illustration, may I add. This miracle and all the others we will see are not things that we should try to model or repeat, but they should give evidence of the divine authority for God's special messengers. It's here that Peter will offer the opportunity to those who are listening, to the Israelites, and even to us today, to be included in God's new covenant, his new promise through Jesus, the Messiah. And as the passage continues on in verse 12, Peter uses this opportunity to point to the miracle not being of them. He says to them, don't get it into your head here. Don't get it into your head that this is something that we did. In fact, don't be surprised at all, because this is God's doing. 
So just as he healed the man in Jesus' name, he points to people rushing to them and saying, look what you guys did. And he says, no, nah, it wasn't me. It wasn't John. It was Jesus. In fact, if, they, if the people had remained faithful to God of their fathers, they wouldn't be surprised by what they would have seen as God worked. And it's funny, as I read this, how hard is it in everyday life to not take some sort of credit for something? How easy would it have been for Peter and for John to just say, ah, sure, you know, let's take a little bit of that glory for myself. And you may not have even noticed it, that Peter had just inserted a little bit here of, of himself. But right here, there's no boasting at all. It's the opposite of what is boasting. It's self-evasement. Peter gives every ounce of the glory to Jesus Christ. He took none of it for himself as a way to boast for himself because just like we were learning in our family worship, God has given us everything. And God is the one who healed this man. And the only one who's due the glory is Jesus. To take any glory for myself is to take glory from the one who's deserving of it all. And Peter says, no, this isn't me. Peter had one focus, one determination, to reflect all the praise away from himself and John and bring it to Jesus. And the apostles' singular focus allowed for them to give up what they may have wanted for their preferences or whatever else for the mission of the Great Commission. There's this wonderful poem written by a man named A. A. Whittington from 1891, and it says this, Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. And this is what Peter's goal is in this whole process. And there's a reason why. Because it's Jesus alone who can save. Peter would have no glory for himself because the act of this man being healed was only done by Jesus, and Peter was just an instrument in the hands of his master. And Peter understood the supremacy of Christ and had an accurate view of himself that allowed for him to get out of the way and make much of Jesus. With this view, Peter more fully understood the depth of Jesus' love and was more able to give up himself for the mission. If I understood how much Christ loves me, does it matter about anything else? No. Am I willing to give up myself? Yes. We are more fully understand the depth of his love. We are more able to receive and respond to his love. And with that view, you and I won't be fixed on what we are getting or not getting because we are so amazed by what we have already been given through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because it's only through Jesus Christ who can save and, it is, and he is worthy of it all. In verse 13, Peter goes on, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's a flashback to who God introduced himself to to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, verse 6. And I want you to think about this because it's important to see the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament. 
by this statement, Peter brings those who are hearing back to remember that the God who appeared to Moses to save his people out of slavery is the same God who once again keeps his promises to save those through his son, Jesus Christ. See, God is the God of the Old Testament as much as he is of the New Testament. And every once in a while, I hear a Christian say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And I will be incredibly blunt to you. That is very wrong. Very wrong. In fact, I might even say it's heresy. The, Old, the Testament, the New Testament, does not show different sides of God. It shows the same God. The God, as Hebrews 13, 8 says, is the same yesterday and today and forever. The God who kept his promises from the past, who fulfills his promises through Jesus Christ, will continue to keep his promises. We just sung about the promises of God. If if God is not a promise-keeping God, I have no hope that he's going to return. And he is a promise-keeping God. And Peter is hammering it here. You cannot unhitch the Old Testament from the New, as one famous preacher said. And Peter's sermon brings us back to the promises of the past, which helps us have hope for the promises that are yet to come. God is faithful. He has been faithful in fulfilling his promises. So Peter isn't proclaiming a new religion. He is proclaiming the faithfulness of God's ultimate intentions for those listening and for all the nations of the world. And God will glorify his servant as Peter continues on because he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. This is Jesus' exaltation over the nation and their kings. Keep in mind, if Jesus is exalted over all kings with all nations... For us who may be frustrated with how the world is going, we can still have peace because Jesus is king. But after a terrible humiliation and suffering that happened on the cross as he, di- sorry, as he died for his people for, for their sins, he is the fulfillment of the passages in the Old Testament, like we see in Isaiah 52 or even in Isaiah 49 verse 3, which says, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. It is through this servant's work of restoring his people that he will be glorified. And even though Jesus was dishonored by the people's rejection, he will be honored and exalted. One of my favorite passages is that every knee will bow. It's an emphatic, it's going to happen. And Peter doesn't hold back at all. Not one ounce of is he holding back. And I think about how often I have tried to share the gospel and have been guilty of trying to sugarcoat it. We all are, by the way. Not one of us is innocent. And we do an incredible harm to those who we share it to when we do that. And Peter says to the people hearing, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. When was the last time in your gospel presentation you said, uh, this is your fault? We often think, oh, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings because we're so Canadian. <laughs> Sorry, we say. 
The sin of those hearing is that they have rejected Jesus. So let me be as bold as Peter is. Are you rejecting Jesus today? Are you resting in him that he is the promised Messiah, the Savior, the only one who can save? In verses 14 to 15, he says, but you denied this person who is the Holy One and Righteous One. And this goes back to the Old Testament again, making the great statement that Jesus is not just some man, but he is God. And he alone is only, he is the only one able to pay the price for our sins because not only is he 100% man, he's also 100% God. And the one who they rejected was the one who they were actually waiting for. And in his undeserved suffering, hear this, in his undeserved suffering, he makes others righteous. And when we put into perspective who was denied, and you can see the grievousness of rejecting Jesus. And John 1 is very clear as to who Jesus is. That he is the one whom all things were created. In Hebrews, we're reminded that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the sustainer of all things. Yet here we see how they, they were, he was denied, he was rejected. It's like a a child saying to their father or their mother, I don't need you. Oh, you will. When we put into perspective who was denied, you can see the grievousness of rejecting Jesus. The depth of the people's rejection can't even be comprehended. So here's the thing. If I am, there's no such thing as sitting on the fence with Christianity. Either you're accepting it or you're rejecting it. Either you are receiving Jesus Christ or rejecting Jesus Christ. There's no options here. And when we understand who Jesus is, that he is the holy and righteous one, that he is the author of life, and that what that means to reject him, Peter will get into that in a little bit, but we also can understand what it means to receive him, as Peter will get into in a little bit. These people uh, that Peter are addressing are the ones that one day were yelling, as we see in Luke 30, 23, verse 18, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. He is described as the holy and righteous one, and they substituted for, for someone completely opposite. Not even the Gentile governor Pilate found any guilt in him and would have spared him. And as, though, as they yelled those words, they sought to kill the author of life, meaning that he is the source of life and that this is a tragedy here. They killed him. But Peter points his finger right at them and tells them that they asked for the life of a murderer to be spared so that the author of life would be killed. That's an amazing paradox. But it doesn't end here. You killed him. You did this. But God restored him to life again. And Peter and John are there to bear witness to the fact that he is indeed resurrected. That the grave is empty. That he ascended to heaven. And that one day he will come back. 
And what amazes me is how often we will continue to hear a contrast that is being made between how humanity treated Jesus and how God treats us. We spat on the author of life by sinning, yet he gives of himself for us so that we can have life in him. He is the author of life and makes resurrection possible only through him for all of those who trust in him. And sometimes I wonder how our current presentation of the gospel would line up to the example we see in Acts. It's only by faith in this man, as we see in verse 16, Jesus Christ, that this lame man walks. And Jesus' name isn't a formula that can be used without faith in him. I remember as a child, I was thinking about this. I might have said this story before. I, was, I don't know if I was a child. I was in high school. So whatever you want to interpret that as. Um, the, uh, I was in high school, and we were driving out west with my family, and you see the Rocky Mountains, and I had, I don't know, Sunday school or something, just heard from Matthew 17, 20, and there I am. I'm like, God, you said if I had enough faith, as I'm looking at the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> and I'm like, God... Let's get these mountains moving here. That's not what that's talking about. It's not only, not only did I, uh, I didn't have the faith, I also wasn't doing it for God's glory or in his way like we saw Peter doing in the last, in the last section of the passage. And that's not what this verse is talking about anyways. A mustard seed faith is faith that kills works of the flesh and produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience are mountains that can only be climbed by faith. And faith, after all, expresses itself in what? In love, as Galatians 5 says. Mustard seed faith believes the gospel will go the ends of the earth and triumph over the gates of hell. And the clearest evidence of a mustard seed faith is whether you love God and your neighbor. Our greatest enemies are not outside of us, but within. Our greatest foe is the hate and rebellion that overtakes us. And the mustard seed faith, because it is placed in Jesus Christ, gives us the victory over our sin. That is the faith that Peter is talking about. And so Peter clearly says that it is through the faith in Jesus Christ that the man, that the man now walks the name of the once humbled and now glorified servant of God. For those who could see this man walking, they saw his cure complete. And Peter pushes the point that the power which healed comes from Jesus alone. And this power comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And if you were to study what the Bible says about faith, faith is a gift. It's not even of your own working. There is no part of your salvation that is due to you. Peter is repeating what he has already said in the first sermon back in chapter 2. So here's this amazing part of this so far. Even though the people were failing to honor God's Messiah and are filled with sin that only deserves one outcome, which is judgment, which is hell, God nevertheless continues to call them back to rest in him. And this is why God's grace is so amazing. This is the same for you and for I. 
We don't deserve anything. For some reason, we can walk through life like we do, but we don't. In Christ, what we deserve is not what we got. In Christ, we get to experience the amazing grace that is shown on the cross as Jesus dies for our sins and rose again. In Christ, our status changes, and that should bring an amazing amount of humility and a desire to give of ourselves because Jesus gave so much for us that we don't deserve. This faith in Jesus enables us to receive the refreshment that only comes through repentance, as we see in verses 17 to 26. See, Peter calls in verse 17, he calls the actions of people ignorant. It was a great gospel presentation. I don't know about you, but I hate being called ignorant. But Peter says right there in verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your, also your rulers, he says. But Peter doesn't say that ignorance is some sort of get-out-of-jail card. It doesn't give you a, a free pass on your sin. Ignorance isn't an excuse for evil actions. Ignorance doesn't ex- excuse their sin, but leaves open the possibility of repentance and forgiveness because ignorance is not a hardness of hearts. It's ignorance. Their ignorance still shows the state of their hearts. As Paul talks about himself in 1 Timothy 1, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a prosecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So to be ignorant is to not have the knowledge or the understanding. People are ignorant, are either unaware or uninformed. So for example, I'm incredibly ignorant of sports, as Pastor Matt and I have this in common. I don't know anything about, except he likes playing sports, I don't. I can tell you who's playing anything today. I have a friend of mine who's really into the Blue Jays, and they were talking on Friday as we were picking up our kids, and I was like, I don't know, nor do I care. But then there's the other ignorance that says, I don't need to know that. I don't care. I've learned enough. I'm up there. In the Old Testament, uh, what Peter's saying here is what we see in the Old Testament, even in Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. See, there's a danger, an incredibly strong danger to sit here and listen to this message and leave this place and not respond to it. The willful rejecting what God's word has to say, in fact, to continue to reject what God has to say can bring a hardness of hearts. I see that all the time. To reject the knowledge that God wants us to have is sinful ignorance. While unintentional ignorance about earthly topics is understandable, like sports or politics or whatever, but intentional ignorance about spiritual matters can lead to eternal destruction, Romans 1. And Peter lays it all out for them here. Ignorance might be the reason for sin, 
but God still commands us to repent of our ignorance and seek him with all of our hearts. As Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The beautiful thing here is that Peter calls him ignorant, but that gives them an opportunity to respond to God's grace. So are you listening? James 1, verse 5, who gives generously, God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him as he talks about wisdom. The good news, wisdom is accessible, and he has given it to us through his word. So every time the Bible commands us to listen or to hear, God is giving you and me a chance to trade ignorance for his wisdom. And Peter is calling the hearers here, those who are listening to him, and you and me, to listen. Are you listening? Because in verse 18, but even in their ignorance, God uses it to fulfill his word that he spoke through his prophets. God, Peter, Peter's holding this amazing tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility with their sin. From the first man, Adam, who brought sin into this world, and that sin spread like a virus through all humanity, we are tied to our sinful natures, all of us, but God, who is rich in mercy, mounts a, the greatest rescue plan ever since the beginning of time and to call a people to himself. And what Peter is telling is God's plan of salvation and how he will fulfill it. Even though we sin, God's plan isn't to keep his people in some sort of hopeless no-man's land with no way out. If you're an adult like me, you like to tease children sometimes, especially the short ones, right? You say, give me a high five. And they give you a high five. I'm like, yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, and you just keep going. That's not how God works. God's not malicious. He's not vindictive. Even in their ignorance, he gives them an opportunity to respond to the grace that he has poured out through his son, Jesus Christ. And Peter is stressing, what Peter is stressing is that we are hopeless, but there's a hopelessness that drives to repentance. When I know that there's no way out of a situation, what, is, what do I do? It's usually then that I start seeking help. I don't think I can, I'm not ever seeking help when I think I got it all under control. Hopelessness is something our world tries to solve without the one who gives hope. But Peter is saying, look to the hope that only comes in Jesus, the refreshment that he gives. And God uses even our ignorance to show us our need. And Peter is seeking to make them uncomfortable so that they can see their need. And it will be once they see their need, that they will find refreshment. And often in the gospel presentation, we start with the good news, right? When we tell people about Jesus, we often say, hey, do you know that Jesus loves you? Which is true. But why does that matter if you don't see the need? Why? We need to know, in order to know what the good news is, we have to know the bad news first. You know when someone says, do you want to know the good news or the bad news first? I always say the bad. <laughs> it's just practical. But that's the gospel. 
We are sinners deserving of God's wrath, but Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be made right before a holy God who is just and good and gracious through his death and his resurrection. We can't forget that salvation through Jesus' death is the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. So you and I are confronted with the stark reality of our responsibility for our sin and also God's sovereignty. And that causes everyone to face judgment because we're all sinners. But it's there. It's there that we find God's intention to save because check out verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that what? That your sins may be blotted out. The order of the gospel is this, repentance and faith followed by receiving forgiveness and removal of sin. By admitting that I am a sinner and I have sinned against the holy God and turning to him in faith, believing that Jesus died for my sin and that he rose again, I will have forgiveness and God sees me through his perfect son. My status has been changed. I'm no longer in the kingdom of darkness but in the kingdom of light. I'm no longer, as the Bible says, an object of wrath but a child of the living God. I'm no longer those things. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am his and he is mine. And Peter calls for repentance. And repentance is a turning from sin. It's being sorry for your sin. Now, sorry is a word Canadians misuse all the time. Right? We bump into someone and we say, what? Oh, sorry. The meaning of sorry actually means sorrowful. When I'm sorry for something, when I go up to someone and say, look, I'm sorry that I did this, it means I'm sorrowful. It means it's wrecking me. So when I'm repenting of my sin, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorrowful for it. It means I hate that I sinned. Not like it. Not continuing to go pedal in the mud. I'm seeking to run from it. It is, repentance is a turning. A call to repentance and faith is an important part of preaching the Bible. So look, if you ever, uh, I don't know what you do during the week, but if you're listening to preachers or whatever it may be, and they're not proclaiming the gospel, as we see here, then it's not the gospel. The gospel without repentance and faith is cheap. No matter how good that person makes you feel. I think this is important for us This is the second example of of a gospel presentation we've seen in the first three chapters of Acts. Now, notice how the gospel is not presented. And I want you to notice something in this text. When Peter proclaims the gospel, he doesn't start with, hey, Jesus loves you. The reason to come to Jesus is not first that God is love. The reason to come to Jesus is that you have sinned against him, and he is the the only one who can provide payment for that sin. Knowing God's love for us comes out of that realization. I am flabbergasted by how God loves me because of what he has saved me from when I deserved that. Look at the text. You have sinned. You are commanded to repent. Then you will have refreshment. For those of us who are, who are in Christ, we need to preach the gospel that we see here, which is the message about Jesus Christ. We can preach... Jesus is king of the world, that he has authority over all things. He is God in the flesh. He is a holy God, and we're sinners 
And God commands us to repent of our sin and believe that Jesus died and rose again. You need to repent and come to Jesus for life. Come to him for life. And then you take that message that you have learned that you're arresting in and you go and declare to everybody else who's broken, who is in need of this refreshment. And you say, that might hurt somebody. Yeah, it might. It might offend somebody. Yes, it will. Because the gospel is offensive. And let me caveat this. It doesn't mean that you get to be a jerk. Okay? But the gospel is offensive. In fact, the Bible says that it is foolishness. But it is also the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, as Romans 1.16 says. As he says later on, he says, your sins will be blotted out. You know what's funny about blotting? Every time it sounds like, oh, if you drop some wine on a white carpet or something, which, like, why would you have white carpet in your house anyways? But, you know, you're like, oh, no. You know, and someone's like rubbing it. And you're like, don't, don't rub it. That just gets it into the fibers. You got to what? You got to blot it. The problem with that is that the stain's always there. But when we see that with Jesus and what he does is gone. That word there means to wipe off, to wipe away. It literally means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence of it. And look, in Jesus, God doesn't see our sin. It's gone in his eyes. He looks at us through Jesus and his perfection and his righteousness. And when we repent of our sin and believe that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for our sin, the record of that sin is obliterated. Gone. Like, like in Star Trek or something, when someone gets shot with a laser. Gone. And how does that not bring refreshment? That no longer do we stand before God with fearful of punishment, but we can stand before him as his children. Does that not bring relief? I remember once I was in trouble at school. I was a good kid, okay? Uh, but I had, I did stupid things. And, uh, and I remember coming home one day thinking, oh man, I'm going to get it. Because <laughs> I did a stupid thing. And, uh, but when it comes to God, that's not how he works. See, oftentimes we sin and the first thing we do is we run away from God. But God calls us to come back to him and repent. We don't run from him. We run to him in repentance because it is there that we are refreshed. As he says in verse 20, the time of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And this word here means a relief from distress and burdensome circumstances like breathing space. Like coming home after a long day and you know, you open the door and you're finally, you just open it and what's that first reaction? You just go, <sighs> and then you get your jogging pants on and it's even better. <laughs> With Jesus, you and I can have relief. You are freed from the burden of sin. It doesn't mean you continue to sin, but you're free from that burden. 
We are no longer slaves to sin, which means that we don't have to continue in that. But to the one who is bought by his blood on the cross, this is an amazing relief. It is through Jesus that the repentant are refreshed, they are made new, and he will return for them when the time comes for restoring all things. And that restoring of all things is a looking forward to what Christ will do, right? The man was healed, right? The lame man was healed. He walked. But at some point, he will stop walking again, either as he gets older or as he dies. It wasn't a complete thing. It's only through Jesus Christ when he comes back that everything will be made new again. And as Peter continues to point forward, as evidence for who Jesus is, he looks at verses 22 to 23, and Moses told of this man who is Jesus, and to reject him is to be destroyed. And Peter quotes Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 to prove his point that Jesus was the prophet like me, and then quotes the next verse in 19 to make the point that it is a danger to reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus, the consequences will lead to destruction, but there is life in the author of life. Two things are guaranteed. Either you will die or Jesus is coming back. You always say there's two guarantees in life, death and taxes, but I don't know. I know for sure Jesus is coming back or you're going to die. But either way, you stand before a holy God. And you can have him as your judge or you can have him as your advocate. The judge will bring judgment for your sin and you will have no advocate. With faith in Jesus, you have an advocate who will stand beside you and say, I paid it. So where are you standing? As Peter begins to close with a simple sentence, Peter loudly declares that not only did Moses point to Jesus as Christ, but that all the prophets of the Old Testament were telling of the time when Jesus would come and a new covenant would begin. And as he closes, it is through Jesus, who is a descendant of Abraham, that our blessings were were secured for all the families of the earth. But to reject it would be to miss out on that blessing and to face destruction. So even though the people are guilty of killing the promised Messiah, God isn't out to punish them, but instead wants to bless and restore them by giving them refreshment. If this isn't an amazing grace, I really don't know what is. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that one can be refreshed, and to reject him is to invite destruction. That's the so what. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that one can be refreshed, and to reject him is to invite destruction. That's what Peter's point is is what our point needs to be as we go proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that one can be refreshed. In the Old Testament, they waited in hope for the Messiah, still trusting God to save them. In the New Testament, we see hope realized. In fact, we will continue to see two groups of people continue to come up here in Acts as the apostles continue to point to Jesus. There's the ones that don't listen, who face destruction, and the ones who do listen and will be refreshed. Later, we, later, we'll see in chapter 4, we will see the people will put Peter and John in prison for preaching this sermon. They didn't listen to the voice of the shepherd. 
the people of Peter and John's day would pay the consequences. Before too long, the offer of mercy will be withdrawn. In the place of blessing, a hardening will come upon God's ancient people. But Peter is blunt. Rejecting God will lead to destruction, but receiving Christ will bring refreshments. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or in Hebrews 3, verse 15, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And there's an urgency here. Don't reject him. Don't continue to reject him. For the Christian, for that in Christ, this is an amazing reminder of the refreshment that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In these days, who doesn't need a little bit of refreshment? Let us remind ourselves constantly of the gospel. John Piper has often said, preach to yourself the gospel. We preach to ourselves the gospel every day. That's why we need each other. That's why we come here on Sunday and preach the gospel. Because we need that reminder of the refreshment that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And as he says, come and rest in me, lean into me. But let us go out as the people of God declaring the full message of the gospel. Don't start with the good news without the bad news. Start with the bad news. That really makes us see why it's good news. Don't reject him today. There's this uh, song, a hymn by Charles Wesley. It's called Love Divine, All Love Excelling. It's a great one. I just learned about it this week. <laughs> Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy host above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee lost in wonder, love, and praise. So I guess the final question is, are you lost in wonder, love, and praise as you think about Jesus? It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that one can be refreshed, and to reject him is to invite destruction. Let us continue to praise our God.